morning. The scripture reading today is from the Gospel of John, chapter 15, verses 13 to 15. Hear the word of the Lord. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. This is the word of the Lord. Yep, there's still a sermon. <laughs> In case you were wondering. <laughs> the concept is an extraordinary one in religion and faith. The concept of being called a friend of God. It's extraordinary because most concepts of God in history have not had that feel that you could be a friend of God. In most religious systems, God remains distant, sometimes cold, often judgmental, and disappointed in human behavior. Even, though it should not be this way, in understandings, or I would say misunderstandings, of Christian faith, that somehow you need to measure up for God's acceptance. People can feel this even after coming to faith in Jesus Christ. It's not biblical. It's not Christian. We need this concept of friend of God and early in our scriptures, we're told that, well, it's, it comes a little later, but one of the central figures early in Christian scripture and in Jewish scripture, one of the early figures is Abraham. Abraham, later in the Bible, on a few occasions, is called a friend of God. There are a couple of reasons I would like us to consider this as a church this morning, and we'll look at it next week, the concept. Firstly, in the community of a church, the way in which we care for one another is affected by our understanding that you can be God's friend. Once you know that, you will relate to one another differently. In each case where Abraham is called a friend of God, it is somebody else talking about Abraham even after he's gone, he's died. And years later, sometimes hundreds of years later, they are saying in a prayer to God, Dear God, I come to you in the name of Abraham, who was called your friend. There is an intercessory aspect to this in the community of faith. So I could say something like, It is a blessing for me to know Bill Sagi, a friend of God. See how that works? But secondly, the concept of friend of God is important in our witness to the world. A word that has lost some of its beauty 
because of politics, evangelical evangelism, our witness to the world. You can talk about faith all you like to people around who don't believe in the existence of God or in Christian faith. You can have campaigns and programs and apologetics. You know what apologetics is? Let's explain the faith. Let's defend the faith. You can do that all you like, and much of that can be useful. But what is better is if someone that you know, for some reason, even though they don't share the faith, might say of you, that person is a friend of God. I've had people who don't believe in God <laughs> say that. I don't really believe in God, but that person that I know is like a friend of God. It's what comes before faith. We'll ask, what does it mean to be in relationship with God, this audacious claim of the Christian church, that you can be in relationship with God? It's part of the series that we've been doing called Stories of Life and Faith, where we tell the story of someone who is among us, often someone who is here in the congregation or part of the congregation now, or someone who has been connected to the congregation. We tell their story in a way that helps teach this biblical concept. I'm saying this because two reasons in my mind and heart. One is that I am convinced that the best and most important theological concepts, grace, love, forgiveness, will be most properly understood as we look at one another's lives with love. I will understand patience from knowing some of you. I'll understand perseverance. I could study it as a concept or I could listen to the people that God has blessed me to live among. Not even necessarily listen to their lessons, though that might be part of it, but listen to their lives. I'm also convinced that this has to do with the future ministry of Sutherland Church, that God is calling us to something new. And in doing so, he builds his church, the people. We think about, well, what could we design, what programs, what building, what space, what... And God does the work of building his people for that which is coming. And I have on my heart to remind you, as we move towards new things, that God has blessed us with everything we need to do that new endeavor, whatever it might be. But we have to be able to recognize this in our lives and in the lives of others. So this morning... That's about as serious as the sermon will get because I'm going to tell you the story of a friend of mine who died almost seven years ago, or over seven years ago. And his name was Barney, Barney Gordon. And if you knew him, you're smiling, maybe laughing a little bit. And if you didn't know him, when I'm done telling you about his story, my relationship with him, uh, you'll be smiling and maybe hopefully shaking your head a little bit. It's Carol Pilgrim's dad. So she's uh, giving us a little extra grace in telling this story. Barney Gordon was a character. That's it. That's the whole story in a way. You try to figure him out. I couldn't. I suppose if it wasn't for Barney, I wouldn't be here doing this. Actually, I don't just suppose. I know that. Barney, when I came to this church, not long after I started coming here. So I was here as a, as a kid, as a teenager. 
and then became youth minister, and then worked at another church, and then came back in the senior ministry role. But Barney, when I was a teenager, came alongside me, and I was at some church event, and he came up to me, and I guess he'd been watching the way I talked to people and whatever, I prayed a couple times in a service or something, and Barney said, you need to consider being a minister. So he was crazy. <laughs> But I didn't know that at the time, so I listened to him. <laughs> he actually became a very close friend and someone who will always be a mentor to me. By the time I knew him, he was older, and I was aware that I didn't know most of his life. I observed him in the church, and I recognized early on that he seemed to have some pull but whatever influence he had was more from verbal exertion than from official capacity. Other people were officially in charge, but Barney could tell you what was really happening. <laughs> Barney connected with most people if they were interested without regard for their age, and he talked to me, a teenage transplant from the Baptist church. I remember Barney from breaking of bread services, so we used to have services here where we would have communion. This is a Plymouth Brethren staple. And it's kind of the Plymouth Brethren expression of the movement of the Holy Spirit, which is you show up and nobody's really planned anything, and then anybody gets to talk. But for a while, anybody meant men, and then that shifted. And So there's always rules to things, even when you say anything goes. You don't really mean anything goes. But I think Barney thought that anything goes. And so most of the time, and I was a young Christian, serious about my faith, most of the time, that service was very small. When I became youth pastor, the elders would come to me and kind of cajole me to get more young people to attend. But I, I liked going. And Barney would often stand up because anybody could and speak, give a verse or a word. But he was unlike all of the other people who stood up and spoke at the breaking of bread. Like when he stood up, I watched the rest of people's heads kind of went down a little bit. <laughs> like, okay, we'll try to get through this one. Because the other people who spoke, serious men, some elders, some leaders, at best they would say some wonderful thing about Christian faith and sacrifice of Jesus Christ, which we were gathered around. At worst, they would make a political point about the church. Often veiled, but sometimes clear that, you know, here's what I'm upset about. Barney was different. Actually, let me show you. Barney realized that... I counted him as a mentor, probably realized it because I told him. And so he started, Carol's now going, oh yeah, my house is full of those things. Um, he, I would go visit him up at his house in Edgemont Village and we would spend a couple hours together. Or he would drop into the office with a word for me and it was always something like this. Happy faces everywhere. This says, guess who? Which means, it's me, Barney. See other side for the secret of success. And I turn it over, and in huge words it says, enjoy, Malachi 3.10. But you've got to read it in the King James Version, just this verse. It's for the now generation. Prove to me now, God, a prayer of Barney's. He would almost always have my name on the top, Todd. Todd, see inside. How good can it get? And then he's got F-S-H-S, quick, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And I open it up and it says, Isaiah 12, 2, 
Jehovah is my strength, my song, and my salvation. And we wrote this for me. He was 83. Or he, he was referring to his 83rd birthday. Todd, I've been enjoying a total and complete loss of hearing. And he circled, enjoying total, complete, and loss. I'll be at church again when my hearing decides to come back. But now, this smile, this verse, Thessalonians 5.18, John 15.16, which is the verse right after we read today, and Psalm 29.11, thanks, Lord Jesus Christ. But there were some like this. If you were with Barney and other people who were around, you might be careful because he could sometimes say things that some people would call insensitive and other people might call racist. He was really into being Irish. This one says, Todd, hello, Yom Kippur. It's great to be Irish. Because for the Irish, every day is a holy day. In breaking a bread one time, I can't repeat it. You can ask Carol about it later. Carol's willing to say some stuff too. She's got a bit of that. So she'll tell you, she'll use words, and she'll, she might tell you what Barney actually said that day. But I'm a young person in the breaking of bread service, and Barney wanted to communicate the joy of his faith in the Lord. And he used a terribly offensive metaphor that I will never forget. And I'm not going to tell you what it was. I'll tell you one that was uncomfortable. Barney's favorite book was the Song of Solomon. Yours too? I mean, other than teenagers giggling and reading about sex in the Bible, I don't know a lot of people who's... I do know a lot of Christians in history whose favorite book was the Song of Solomon. Old monastics and people who got serious about their faith with God. Because the Song of Solomon is an Old Testament book that talks about the physical sexual love between two young lovers. And it's call and response, back and forth, them declaring their passionate love for each other, and here's what we're going to do. And that was Barney's favorite book in the time I knew him. Because he said, your relationship with God, my relationship with God is passionate, Todd. Oh, and then he would go like, okay, Barney, and I'd be like, that's it. He would stand up and bring your bread and do this. And then, this was in the old building mostly, but Lois would be there with him, his wife Lois. And he would say, you want to know how passionate it is? And then he would say something like, the other night, Lois and I. And everybody would do that, but Lois would just look at him like this. All right, whatever. And he would say, this is what it's like. My wife and I, she ravishes me. That's what he would say. And he would say, that's how much I love God. That's how much God loves you. Barney's favorite word in his reflections, these ones, was joy. He would have a theme each year, but joy kept repeating in some way or other. I mostly didn't know about his life because I met him when he was already older. So I was aware as a young person, and I remember this now, 
even as I reflect upon his life, that the life that he held in his head, I didn't know. Raising his children, his family, his work. I talked to him about it. I learned that he was a cookie salesman, which is perfect. It's a perfect character. That he made money and lost it and made it again. I learned that he was a disturber, and now I'm quoting Steffi Berge from her baptism talk. He was a disturber of the peace. And I was a young youth pastor, and I was a bit of a disturber myself. I wanted to take young people on trips to Mexico. And it wasn't always automatic with the elders board and various things that had to get approval, and I was just and I would go see Barney, and he would, I would ask him, like, what am I supposed to do? I, I feel like I'm getting opposition here, or something's wrong. And, and uh, he would talk about God instead of talking about the issue. But then once he was done talking about God, which could be a while, he would go back to the issue, and he would say, don't take any, don't take any from them. So for those of you who were on the board, it was Barney's fault. He could be a bit of a handful himself. I don't think necessarily that he would, and I don't, not, don't know this for sure, but I don't think that he would be the easiest person all the time to have in the family. Thank you, Carol, for acknowledging that. <laughs> Jen and I had two boys, both born in the time that I was meeting Barney like this, and Barney went crazy. He told me that having two boys was a sign of God's blessing. <laughs> yeah, I'm still waiting, but you know, I'm not, it is. <laughs> But, but uh, I also thought, well, what about the girls and the women in his family? Something I just had in my mind. Barney came to represent a monastic to me, like a monk, like this cookie salesman monk. And everyone else in the city was running around doing their thing, but Barney was always talking and thinking about God. In his house at the time, because, of course, no children there anymore, there was an extra room that he turned into a prayer closet. And if you went into the prayer closet, all you saw was all stuff on the walls like this. And usually paper that he didn't have to go out and buy anything. He's maybe pretty cheap. I'm not sure. Struck me as sometimes. So he found a piece of paper. He did, and all over the walls were these sayings. And he had a little piece of foam that was his kneeler. He would anoint himself with oil. He longed for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He told me on a number of occasions. But at that time, it was probably the wrong church. <laughs> he grew up a Baptist church and then Plymouth Brethren and traditions that weren't really into the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But his passionate faith had that longing. I used to go for breakfast with him. And I always had to determine when I would go for breakfast with him on Lonsdale, little places that for the most part don't exist anymore. The closest thing would be 80s. But there used to be other places like that. And I knew, okay, I'm going to go in with him, I'm going to sit there for breakfast with him, and he's going to talk loudly, and I'm going to be embarrassed. I have to be determined not to be embarrassed. Because maybe he's going to say something about the Irish. Or if, if we have a server who's an ethnic minority, oh no, that kind of thing. But mostly he would talk about God, and he would never miss an opportunity to say a word to the young server, to say, isn't it a great day today? Do you know God's love? Do you know the fullness of joy? And they would just smile, and I would sit there trying to communicate to them that I shared the same faith as him, but I didn't feel it required maybe the same aggression. 
I had the terrible idea that Barney might be able to help others as he had helped me. So I signed him up to do a little talk at youth group when I was youth pastor. In fact, I told him, because he'd helped me so much, I said, actually, maybe you can do this on a regular basis. Talk for a few minutes at youth group because we have a little devotional time. And so he, he said yes, and then he did it once, and he never did it again. Because I told him five minutes, and I think it was about 45 minutes. I think he thought he had to tell them everything at once. And they were not as impressed by him as I was. Jen and I were away, I think on sabbatical. Barney had a stroke. And we heard that he was not doing well. And I suppose that I told myself that he would handle this setback like a lofty contemplative, that he'd find some new expression of the love of God, a new way in the struggle. The truth is that he was not well, and he was openly upset and angry about it. He became tougher to be around, at least for me. In Barney's mind, God had broken the terms of the deal, the friendship. Even talking, which Barney did a lot of, that became difficult. His slurred speech was upsetting, mostly to him, and he was convinced that he did not deserve this. He loved God, served God, and this is what he got in return? I remember thinking that such honesty was refreshing. Church people, sometimes, often, maybe it's better than it used to be, I don't know, but church people can so often carry enormous amounts of pretense around as if they're always okay. Barney held no such reservations. As he had previously not held back on his declarations of passionate love, he became just as intent upon voicing his anger. I met with him not long after Jennifer and I and the boys had returned home from traveling. Lois, his wife, drove him down to a local coffee shop, Delaney's in Edgemont Village, and I helped him get out of the car, which I'd never had to do before. And I remember as I was helping him get out of the car, I was impressed by how quickly the frailty had descended upon him. Barney was one of those people, you know some of these people, Barney was one of those people who could paint the whole room with whatever emotion he was feeling. And that day he was frustrated. He did not pretend to be happy to see me, and there was little banter left. He was disheveled and grumpy, a bitter old monastic. We took our coffee outside, and once Barney got going, he was louder than he maybe had ever been. But now with slurred speech that made him sound something like drunk, as he yelled loudly, What did I ever do to deserve this? No! No! A little bit uncomfortable for you. It was more uncomfortable for me at the coffee shop. I hate this! You've let me down, and I'm letting you know it. And he's shaking his head. I knew that Barney was not talking to me, but nobody else around did. I was witnessing a prayer, a Barney kind of prayer. But anybody nearby would have assumed that he was hollering at me. They may have wondered why the drunk old man was so upset with the young fellow. And I sat calmly. Barney was praying, always praying. I just happened to be there. And his anger continued to build. And I thought that maybe somebody might intervene. 
thinking that I needed protection or wondering why I wasn't doing more to help. Barney kept hollering at God, finally, as if to cement the defiance. He yelled out, Well, here's what I think of you now. And as he did it, this is the second time someone's done this in church for those, the first was earlier this summer. He raised his hand in the arm in the air and he stuck out his middle finger. And he said, well, this is what I think of you now. And then he brought his arm back down and he had a little grin on his face. Like a kid who's decided to be defiant, just waiting for the punishment. As if he was saying to me, now, let's see what he does. Friend of God. Upset at his friend, but still friend of God. Barney recovered somewhat, but later he would again face difficulties with his health and he was hospitalized. Visiting Barney in the hospital was not like visiting other people. As a pastor, I would get there and Barney would, his discomfort was evident and he would say, he didn't always have the most flowery language either. So, we'll have to be careful here. But he would say, oh, good, you're here. Can you help me get my pants down? I need to take a, bring that toilet thing over here on the chair. And I'd be like, oh, just, this is interesting. When he went into Evergreen Care Center, it seemed to me that he didn't like it. It's probably more complicated than that. And there he was in a shared room and I would visit him there, and his area was very sparse, now not decorated with all these things, and seemed to be sparse by his choice. He would lie on top of the sheets, and he would lie there on his back, like motionless sometimes. So that when you're poking your head and you thought, is Barney still with us? He'd look for the breathing. And I would go in and I would try to wake him. Barney, Barney. But I didn't want to startle him, because you startle Barney, you might pay the price. Barney, Barney. So then sometimes I would write a note and leave, a little prayer note, whatever. One time I was there, Barney, Barney, whispering beside him, lying on the top of the sheets. And his eyes shot open. I was just like, kind of terrifying. And he's like, good, you're here. Let's talk. And he would ask me, you know, why haven't I been there for so long or something? but usually gently. And I'd say, actually, I was here recently, but you were asleep. And he would say, if you come here and I'm lying here like that, don't ever leave. Shake me. Do whatever it takes, but wake me up. His faith had calmed down a little bit, or maybe he was just tired. He still had some complaints before God. I knew he did, but it was like he was storing them up because he knew that pretty soon he'd get a better hearing. One of my last visits to Barney, I went with my friend Ken Bell to Evergreen. He had to visit a couple parishioners, so did I. I think I had to visit one more or something. But anyway, we wound up walking into Barney's room together. Ken with his Anglican clerical collar on and me dressed like this or something. Barney wasn't used to necessarily being a part of a church where ministers wore collars like that. I mean, it wasn't unaware of it or anything, but... 
And Ken, I went to the side of the bed near Barney's head, and Ken stood at the end of the bed, like this. And so I went to the side of the bed, and I'm like, Barney, Barney. And I see his eyes shoot open. But he's looking at Ken, he doesn't even see me. And he literally goes, he goes, what the hell is going on? <laughs> he thought somebody had delivered a Catholic or Anglican minister to deliver last rites. <laughs> And Barney died. Whatever we're going to do, wherever God's leading us as a church, one of the values that I want to have is the awareness that we need to learn from people who have experiences other than ours, people who are a lot older than us or younger than us. We need mentors. Even churches are not necessarily doing a great job of this anymore. Everything's too immediate. What does a young person have to learn from somebody like Barney? Well, I'll tell you this. He changed my life. He also was one of the first who allowed me to understand that I didn't have to feel my faith in exactly the same way as the rest of the people. So I could be more intimate in my relationship with God. This is the way I'll put it. I'm so glad to know Barney, a friend of God. Here's our Lord Jesus Christ. This our faith. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And then hear the word of the Lord to us, to his followers. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. As the Father has loved me, earlier in this talk Jesus said, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. This is my command, that you love one another. May we have ears to hear what the Lord is saying to us. And now we get to do this, it's perfect, at least in my mind it's perfect, because we've had these baptisms, you've heard about my friend Barney, I'll tell you a little more about him next week when we talk about what it means to be a friend of God, but we now get to call up one of the youngest uh, parishioners of Sutherland Church. <laughs> <laughs> 